0: To the Coaches Rising podcast. Today I am joined by Barbara piper Ruloffs, and we're going to be talking about the work that Barbara does as a coach and a trainer focused on compassion, well-being and resilience. Barbara is the founder of the Be Rooted School of Compassion and she supports individuals and organizations to cultivate well-being, particularly focusing on integrating the heart, mind and body with compassionate practices. So we're going to talk today about what has Barbara been noticing in the years since the pandemic in terms of the focus of her work and how can we take care of our well-being in the workplace, the role of the body and mindfulness in maintaining resilience and the journey into the heart, the heart's role in this process. And we'll, we'll get right into compassion. What is compassion, the role of compassion and the role of meditation in developing compassion? just a little bit more about Barbara, as I mentioned, she is the founder of the Be Rooted School of Compassion. She's a certified Stanford-trained compassion facilitator. Her work is systemic, somatic, and holistic. She's also on the faculty at the Think School of Creative Leadership. If you're a coach and you're listening to this and you would like to join our community of global transformative coaches, you want to stay in the loop about the things we create which aren't this podcast then you can head to coachesrising.com just scroll down the homepage there and put your name in the little box you find there and you'll stay in the loop let's dive in here's the podcast with Barbara Piper Ruloffs. hi Joel <laughs> hey Barbara yeah hey it's good it's not, I like that you started that because normally I'm the one saying hi and you you did it first and <laughs> actually uh I actually enjoyed that um, so yeah, Barbara, how are you? How are you?
1: Uh-huh. I'm good. I'm good. I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Um, I've seen some of your podcasts uh, or f- video casts that you did and uh, I love your work. I love what you do. So it's a real pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to have you on and we're going to talk about your work today. In fact, I'll get you into- to introduce yourself in a moment. But uh, we're going to talk about, I think, about um, compassion and uh, well-being and the role of the heart in that. And I think for me, I'm I'm curious what you'll say about this, but it seems like such a, an important topic in our times when there's so much craziness in the world. So, so that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast today. Other than that, you know, we've been getting to know each other and I think you're awesome as well. So, um, well, yeah, so... Maybe a good place to start is um, just to say, like, like, could you just tell, give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are, so people can get a sense of that. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, my name is Barbara, uh, Barbara Piper, and um, I'm half Dutch, half English. So most people ask me, you know, are you Australian? Your accent's pretty muddled up. But we used to live abroad and. Um, in two sixteen to 2019, I lived in the States. And so sometimes you can't hear if I'm English, Dutch, American, or wherever. So I call myself an international citizen. Um, but originally I was raised by a British father and a Dutch mother, and we lived in Asia and we live here in the Netherlands. So I'm very much bilingual, bicultural, and um, yeah, I guess my focus has always been international. And um, my work now, I have a company called Be Rooted. Um, and I design personal well-being programs for big corporates, but also for healthcare environments. Uh, and at the heart of it is always a compassionate leadership component. So um, that's it in a nutshell. I also work for Think Creative School for Leadership, which I enjoy, which, is, which has a similar uh, feel to it. And I didn't always do this. I used to work corporate. So I worked corporate for about 12 years when I was younger after I did my master's in communication. And I, I learned a lot from those years because I really learned about structuring things, thinking big, collaborating together to make big things happen in the world. Um, but after some personal things went on, I made a switch to healthcare management, uh, which was a really nice switch. And, and I found that uh, I enjoyed working in the healthcare environment because it was so much more about people. And then once we moved to the States, I became an independent professional. And so today, my days are filled with program design, facilitation, mentoring people. Um, Someone called me a life mentor recently, and I was like, yeah, I guess that's what I do.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that term life mentor in a bit as well. Um, I'd just love to ask you, first of all, about if you could say a little bit about uh, the work you do in terms of... um, the need for a focus on well-being, perhaps in our times, and we can talk about how how you might think of well-being and the and the path towards that. But maybe you could say something about, um, you know, the need for it in our times, and and like, have you have you seen um, more and more people like in need of well-being and things like that? What what are you sent? What are you seeing in the world, basically, in the corporations and the leadership programs that you facilitate?
1: Yeah. Um... I tend to say, you know, there's the the pre-COVID time, the during and the post-COVID time. I think even before uh, COVID happened, I was getting a big sense that there was a lot more focus on well-being needed because people were getting overworked uh, in the big corporate environment. And I think one of the um, things that came out of COVID was that people started taking better care of themselves. Suddenly there was more focus on self. But at the same time we used to be together live then we came together online and and this whole new world opened up for for so many of us and now i'm finding that in this hybrid situation people are struggling with finding a way in the hybrid form so i think if we look at the world at large there's i mean so many people have mental health issues across the world not just in corporate or healthcare environments and for a lot of the people, it's, it's about you know continuing, following the script as always, but it's not working anymore. So what I'm seeing is that people are looking at different ways to navigate, either hybrid working or working at home, um, finding a balance in what's happening at home and what's happening at work, and maybe being that same authentic, se- authentic self in both arenas. I think that's what I'm seeing a lot. And as facilitators, and maybe you will find the same with your work, is we can help bring tools to people as to how to do that. How I take care of my personal well-being at home as well as at work. Um, And and it really asks for creating some safe spaces at work so that professionals across the globe can come together in an intercultural, cross-cultural setting, connect to each other, learn from each other. um, and actually the way the way that i'm finding is to direct your attention inward first finding what's important to you finding your resilience what works for you and then bringing that back out and taking responsibility for what you bring to each table yeah so there's there's that word responsible and responsibility and and i use that a lot in my work because if you break up the word, it's response and able, it's your ability to respond, right? And so it's, what is it I bring to the table and take responsibility for? I'm finding that that conversation really holds truth and that people enjoy talking about that in these environments. And and they're enjoying also taking some, carving some time out to do this together. So yeah.
0: almost like in what I hear there, like um, we could follow a lot of what you've, shared there as a template for our conversation uh you know like h- how do uh, people go in with direct attention inwards develop resilience uh, find a sense of responsibility but i want to ask you first about like do you do you see uh an increase in burnout and um people you know lo- losing a sense of uh well-being do you find that people are like uh coming back to that sense of well-being now that the you know, people are back in the world more again after, after the lockdowns? Or do you just think, no, increasingly people are feeling, um, yeah, you know, anxious or burnt out?
1: I think the feeling I'm getting is, one, there's the numbers. So the numbers show that people are increasingly struggling with mental health. Um, but I also think people are more focused on it, maybe because of what happened in those years. On, wait a minute, it's important that I feel good so that I'm resilient enough to deal with all these challenges going on, not just at my work or in my family, but in the world at large. You know, there's so many crises going on, and um, there's more scarcity in the world uh, coming um, into different areas, and people are finding it hard to navigate that. And so it, it has those two sides, but also I'm talking about responsibility individually because that's the big chunk of my work that's what I'm asked to do but there's also a responsibility in the systemic part of it you know if 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 a company gives me a thousand dollar budget a year to take good care of myself go to yoga class and meditate but the environment and the context stays the same and I'm being crammed with the same amount of challenges or more nothing will really change right it's there's a responsibility on both sides and so in my work, I've chosen to focus a lot on the individual side. I'm well aware that there's a flip side to that as well. Yeah.
0: Because like that's what I actually had in my mind a little bit too. And we'll go to the individual. But when you said like people following the script yeah. and now you're talking about the systemic part of it, uh, you know, in the terms of these, you know, I've heard of this term like toxic workplace culture, you know, like, um, yeah, people feel they get some respite in coaching or in some kind of program wellness program, but then they're just put right back into that culture. So, you know, what's the point in some way. And I, so I'm curious, uh, if you have any thoughts on, cause let me just say something, something I'm thinking about is, is this paradigm shift we might be in or, or, you know, um, this liminal time between worlds We face all these crises that you're talking about. And what, um, are these like, you know, societal uh, or cultural beliefs that we hold that it may be time to let go of. You know, um, mm. um, there's scarcity in the world. You know, you said there's a feeling of scarcity, and I think you know we might be f- about to face more and more of that as a as a species as um, the years go by. And so, yeah, my question is is really about like, what do you feel about that? Like, do you? There's a question in there. I've kind of lost it. What is it? What is it? Just give me a second. Yeah, I mean basically just just like what are you th- what are you seeing on that level do you do you think that we're in some kind of transition and that that's kind of even more necessitating that we turn inward basically
1: Yeah that's a that's a beautiful question because it it has so many different layers to it and I think more and more what I'm seeing in f- from top senior leadership is that they're willing to embrace this I'll call it compassionate leadership because that's a big part of what I do, but it's a uh, like modern day leadership. I'm not quite sure what the right phrase is, where um, true personal relationships and time to really connect and time to reflect and take a step back and look at what's really going on here. I think that's being embraced more and more with the new generation of, of leaders. So I am seeing that... In the arenas where I work, more and more leadership is is embracing it and trying to apply it. Oh, yeah, and the second thing I wanted to say is a big part of this personal well-being work isn't just me individually. If you're truly embracing empathy and kindness and compassion as a way of being, that also brings common humanity into the mix. That's a big part of compassion. And just like me, you're human, too. So if I have a manager who's uh, barking down orders and, you know, bucket loading a ton of work on me, it's probably because he's getting a ton load of work bucketed on him. And so that's the bigger system, right? And as soon as we can embrace common humanity and just like me, you want to be happy and just like me, you have something going on in this arena, then we can truly talk and connect. And in order to have those conversations, we've got to be open, we've got to be courageous, we've got to have the, the, the courage to sit down and ask beautiful questions, ask difficult questions and be real together um, instead of following a script or, you know, getting up and doing what we do habitually and just going through the day. Just, yeah, it's not just... I think it's that sense of wonder, and bringing that to every conversation, and have every conversation be a new one with a new lens or an open lens. Like I've met you a few times, and as I was, you know, nearing today, I was thinking about how am I going to prepare for today, and I remembered that every conversation we've ever had has always been an in-depth, beautiful conversation because we just went in open. And courageously invited each other in each other's space. And so that may sound like unusual for a corporate arena, but it's just a common humanity piece. It's a piece where we just meet each other as humans in a working environment. It doesn't mean our business challenges aren't the same. It doesn't mean our goals and aspirations and and what we're trying to achieve with the company, small or large, isn't the same. It's just approaching it in a different way. So I think that's those are two things that have come up for me when you ask me that question mm-hmm. yeah does that make yeah, sense it,
0: it does make complete sense and in a way it's a really beautiful what it makes me think of is the and you kind of alluded to this earlier that like with the pandemic there was um you know it was a very difficult uh, unusual experience for everybody but at the same time it brought a greater focus on on well-being and that You know these multiple crises we're facing, and the kind of uncertainty of the world is having people perhaps you know breaking that script. Basically, we've had these, we've had decades of stability, which was kind of cool. You know, it's kind of fun, but uh, maybe that and the scripts were all pretty, you know, pretty um, stable scripts. But but now we're questioning those scripts. So that might be the the the, you know everything comes with its uh, every difficulty comes with a, a potential and um and, and i'm so i i wonder about then um you know you something you wrote on your website which i really liked was like you said living from a place of heart uh is mm. the root of everything basically and i i just wondered if you could speak into what you mean by that
1: yeah living from a place of heart i i tend to call it pockets of light i'd like to create pockets of light wherever i go and, and and allow people to drop into what's real in your heart, um, but in order to know what's true for you, requires some silence. It requires some contemplation. It requires alone time. Yet to find it, it's and it's interesting that you bring this up because it's a direct experience. And it, you know, if anything that I've learned on compassion in these years of studying it and now finally teaching some of it um, and i learn i still learn every day is that compassion is a direct experience before the mind starts chattering so before the narrative gets going it's a direct physical experience and i think you know as a sidestep the programs that i followed at coaches rising over the years have been visionary in that sense because what was the uh the education called the the power of embodied leadership also with yeah. richard stroetzi and with you it's that direct experience the body holds the score who that who said that uh Bessel van der kolk said that yeah yeah uh, that's his book and and it's so true the body never lies and so before i answer any of your questions i get a sense of what's going on so some questions are like, oh, I'm not quite sure where I'm going. My heart might start beating or I might, might get sweaty Hand, uh, hands as you ask it. And other questions, I can feel sort of my shoulders relaxing in a sense of ease. And so the body's really the way in. And so what I tend to convey to people when we're working, usually online but also live now again, it's hybrid, is that if you're looking to to live from a place of heart, It's about that direct experience and tapping into what's going on and you can't catch what's going on if you don't quiet the mind if you don't come to some form of contemplation it doesn't have to be meditation for everyone it can be just sitting on your couch it can be taking a walk it could even be in connection with someone and having an open dialogue and just to open these qualities of the heart this empathy this kindness this common humanity you know and, and and acknowledging that we're all human, even when you're angry and triggered to see if you can find find that uh first in your direct experience and then as you reflect on it so let's say you make me angry in this in this conversation or you or, or you heighten my heartbeat because you say something I completely disagree with I'll be like oh that's interesting i'm suddenly I'm switching on my seat or i'm I'm doing this with my jacket. I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. And that in itself can give me a message about what's going on for me. And then once I understand what's going on for me, I can drop into, ah, that's happening. And I know why that's happening. That's a program I used to believe in when I was younger that used to work. But I don't have to be edgy in this moment. I'm here. I'm safe. I know, Joel, there's nothing going on. I can relax. And you can work with yourself with that direct experience and then drop into that heart space of of compassion and empathy and kindness and and common humanity and all those qualities of the heart. And so I will say, once we're aware of what's going on for us, we can couple that with self-regulation and practice that every day, like I'm still practicing it every day and it doesn't always work, we're all human. But as soon as you can self-regulate some of that awareness that you found about yourself, you can become responsible about what you bring to the table because you know what's going on. And then you can bring something to the table that holds your responsibility and gives a response instead of a reaction to what's going on. So, So dropping into your heart and being in your heart space and living from a space of heart sounds really to a lot of people that sounds soft, like soft skills. But if you break that open a little bit to what's really going on, it's just a very physical human experience. That this is a little bit of how I see it. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah. It, and um might be interesting to talk about why uh why that Create fosters why that move that whole journey you've just described, which by the way I think is one of the fundamental core practices we can take on in our times. You know, if we want to equip ourselves in these times, uh you know, and perhaps actually coaches listening might recognise it as being you know a core mechanism of of transformation even. Um, mm-hmm. But I wonder if you could say more about like what what is it a. What is it that's happening there that's allowing for increasing compassion? You know, it, it, you you said something like um, uh, you're feeling your direct experience and before the mind kicks in. Like, what's what's going on there, and how does that ha- lead us to f- feel compassion?
1: Hmm, that's a beautiful question. Yeah, like our mind is designed, and you know, lots of research has been done on this. The mind is designed to think. I mean, that's what it does. And I'm super happy with my mind because it helps me organize and analyze and, and I've been an academic all my life, so I enjoy it. Um, but my mind also tells me stories about the past the whole time. and And based on what I've experienced in the past, it tells me what to do in this moment because that's the safe place to go because that's what I know. That's what my system knows. That's what my body knows. But once... Once I'm aware of what's going on in how I'm feeling, I can also hear the narrative, which sometimes conflicted. Sometimes my mind's telling me, oh, this is the best way to go. Take a, turn right here, you know, don't answer this question or 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 make, make sure you do A, B, or C, but my heart's telling me something different and it may feel disaligned. And that narrative, and I think a lot of Buddhists call it the monkey mind, um, it's, it's ongoing. And when we meditate, I find um, I can't stop it. I mean, it's always there, but I can choose not to listen to it and then feel into what's going on in my body. And often my heart is open and I can feel common humanity for someone else. I can feel empathy. I can feel compassion for what's going on. And the hardest part, self compassionate, that I wanted to react, that I wanted to go right instead of sit with this and and get a good feel of of where I am and where the other person might be. And once we come from that place, it's much easier to open up a conversation about where we could come together, where we could go together towards a common goal, which is obviously what in business and in corporate is what I'm dealing with. People want to be more effective in reaching the goals of the company And I'm telling them this is one way to go about it. It's not the only way, but it's a fundamental way uh, of being with yourself and being with each other to get new results. And if we want to change the world, building into what you asked me at the beginning, what's happening with the world, there's so much going on in the world. And if we want to respond mindfully to what's going on and have our response be um, to the benefit of the planet, not just the shareholder, or my day, or my team, but to have it be for the benefit of everyone, um, this is this is a way in. This is a way in.
0: I've been reflecting uh, on is kind of an ethical dimension to the heart. Uh, like, like I'm t- talking from my own path now. I'll just like I'm, I'm yeah. own this what Please. I'm sharing uh as as i do my work and sensitize my heart i increasingly find myself in an ethical not dilemma but you know it's more like okay um for example how do i feel about the my lifestyle in in relationship to um you know what's happening in a species extinction uh, environmental crises and the level of consumption that 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 it happens even in our household, you know? So, so there's a kind of um, you know, but I think you can also bring that down to also like, how do I feel when I've had an argument with my wife or my stepson and um, you know, there's, there's un, it's unresolved, you know, and so, and it can no longer be tolerated in the same way. So there's a kind of, there's a kind of intelligence or a knowingness or a compass that feels like it comes online. I don't know if that resonates for you.
1: Yeah, it does resonate for me. It is a compass. And it's also, I feel it's also a choice of how you want to be in the world and how you want to be, what do you want to bring to every table? For for me, I remember when I first came into contact, I'll just give an example, maybe to highlight my answer. When I first came into contact with Compassion, which was at Stanford in 2016, my first class, my teacher and now friend and colleague, Robert Cusick, he's amazing, an amazing human being. I remember seeing him for the first time, listening for those two hours, experiencing compassion. And I said to him, this is, this is going to change my life. And then after taking four courses with him in the course of three or four years, um, and I was still not done, I said to him, I, I now decide. I'm, I'm going to bring compassion to every table I sit at. And that's a really conscious choice. And I I think it's also something that I learned in one of the Coaches Rising um, uh, full presence. Uh, What's it called? Power of presence. Power of presence. Power of presence. I remember when I finished that course, I said, ah, I'm going to bring my full presence to every moment. And obviously that doesn't always work because we live a life and and i have children and i have a family and i'm 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 busy so i can't i you know i make it a point when i get up in the morning this is what my intention is for this day and there'll always be some full presence and some compassion in there and so i agree with what you said it's yeah it helps navigate that yeah
0: Mm. yeah yeah yeah. And again, I'm thinking about the invitation being made to each one of us in these times, you know, that feel like a dojo in some way, you know, like as the intensity of the times perhaps uh, increases, you know, then then we're invited into a deeper level of practice or inquiry. And I'm, I'm curious if the, you know, through your research and, and st- training, you've, um, if they talk about where, you know, in some uh, wisdom traditions, for example, a lot of teachers will talk about this descent into the heart that can take place as one um, matures on their on their spiritual journey. you know, a number of teachers I'd known who talked about that. Uh, and actually you can begin to actually orient to the world fra- from one's heart, yeah so it's not it's not like metaphorical or a nice idea. No, it's actually a, like a kind of physiological shift that takes place. And, um, you know, one, instead of uh, perhaps living in the head where a lot of people do, like there's a kind of perceiving the world from the heart, which might sound strange as well. And I'm just curious if there's, um, you know, been any, uh, if that's influenced the world of compassion uh, training and research, and and then if there's even like, um, like if there's any neuroscience research around that, if, you know, if the science and the spiritual have come together.
1: Yeah, they have. That's really a beautiful question. Um, they've done lots of research. So, so especially at Stanford University, where we have uh, a definition of compassion, a research done, there's funded research into meditation, because meditation is in the training at Stanford. Meditation is the way into compassion. So it's that awareness that's bringing your full presence to the table quieting the mind feeling into that direct experience and they've done lots of researches. i'm just thinking maybe there are a few books that i can i can suggest later on um, that will give you more research um uh, daniel coleman and richard davidson have done lots of really good research and um mathieu ricard you might know him french uh, buddhist he's uh, participated in a lot of research where they um Uh, they researched his brain um, uh, to find out what happens when you quiet the mind and come into the body and what that does physiologically to your uh, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So there's a lot of research that's been done. Also, I don't know if you know the book Compassionomics. It's, uh, it's for healthcare. It's the revolutionary scientific evidence that caring makes a difference by Stephen Trusiak. So this is what healthcare is now using for compassionate leadership. And I'm not doing a, like a book review here, but these are just books that have some scientific information that you might find interesting on meditation and on coming into the body and on coming into the heart and what that, what that physiological difference mm-hmm that can make for you. Breathing, lots of research has been done into breathing. And I use that actively that when I'm in the rush of the day and I'm going back to back into meetings or trainings, that in between, even if I have 10 minutes just to go get a coffee or go to the bathroom, I'll use breathing exercises to calm down my nervous system. And especially in a corporate environment and especially in people who are now experiencing a lot more stress or issues with their mental health breathing can often calm you down in the space of you know four minutes or 60 seconds and they're finding that super beneficial someone i can't remember who was he said 16 seconds of bliss the four step breathe, four moments of breathing in holding it for four seconds breathing out for four seconds and then holding it for four seconds and that in itself can make such a difference to your system, to your day, and to how you interact with other people. These kind of even smaller tools are helping are helping people and supporting them in calming down the nervous system at work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Go ahead. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, I just want to like also give a heads up to people listening. There's a book called Breathe, and I can't remember who that's by, but um, it's basically, it's kind of like a cheat sheet. (laughs) It's basically (laughs) like a a compilation of like 50 different breathing exercises uh, out there from like the Wim Hof technique to, you know, all these different ones. So, and it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. So I recommend, I can't remember the name of the author, but we can put that in the show notes as well. Um, Actually, I'm quite curious. Now you talk about this, uh, you know, I imagine there's kind of like two different streams of, of, of inner work you offer people. Like one is through workshops and, and trainings or maybe in corporate settings and then uh, maybe parallel with this or complementary is then doing one-on-one coaching with people over time. So I'd love to like tease apart maybe some of the moves you make with people in those different settings. So maybe, maybe the first place to go would be like in the corporate settings in the trainings you do or in the, you know, what kinds of, uh, you already named like breathing, you know, you do a breathing practice yourself. Um, what kinds of practices do you think are just really powerful for, uh, people? And, and maybe, you, you know, you could just kind of describe it a little bit. Maybe you already did. Uh, okay.
1: Yeah. So I, I do tend to work with a few invitations during my either silent retreat or, or I have this 10 week course that I do, uh, in a corporate environment. And, um, we always start with what's your intention? Why did you say yes? What made you say, ah, I want to be part of this program. Um, And again, that brings someone back to what was it that makes, that made me say yes. And why am I here? What am I doing here? So it's about intention setting. So that's always where we begin. And that might change the moment they join the course. And it might even change as they do the course because It's a 10-week course, and the reason I built it into 10 weeks is that often in corporate environments, I find people have to drop off because they have a really important meeting or something came up. And so I tend to cover similar topic and theory and research and exercises every two sessions so that if you missed one, you can jump onto the next and there'll be some crossover. And, And so the intention setting weaves through and might change as we go along. And then and then I'll invite people to bring full attention to their intention. So then for a couple of weeks, we go into how do I bring my full presence to something? So I'm actually, I continue to bring all the research-based practices into what they need at work. So So their intention for doing the course for one might be, for someone might be, uh, business oriented and for someone else might be completely about their personal well-being and self-compassion. So there's differences there. So from intentions, we move to what does it mean to bring your full attention to something? And then there's a a, a bit in the middle where we have lots of focus on quieting the mind and coming to your, to yourself. And, and there's a lot of physicality there, as I explained about the, the embodied leadership, what's going on for me and doing the inner work and then as, as we do that, we encounter our triggers. So there always be, oh yes, I'm feeling calm. I've done this meditation. And then suddenly your wife says something and you blow a fuse or your boss sends an email with something that needs to be done tomorrow. And suddenly you've left yourself and you're out there, up here again. And, and in a sense, this is something my teacher once taught me, Robert, He said, you lose yourself, you lose that connection to yourself. And so I deliberately go into triggers because it shows people how they get flung out of it again. And and then we talk about how to come back. And then once we've done that, we, we do a few weeks on how to come back into the world with all this new knowledge, because then you practice. Then you start practicing these new tools, this new way of being, these new intentions that you've set and you're going to find resistance if people are like hey this is not the John that I knew or uh, well, who are you what are you doing and then and then they can come back into the session and discuss together in breakouts what is what is happening for them as they bring this out into the world and then we round it off uh, with possibly a next phase or some new intentions and we come circle again so these are the invitations I give to, and I've done this for years to my mm. clients and uh, and I guess the you know where the the friction is and where the diamonds are is really where it triggers and where you get resistance because that's when you start living and practicing all these new things and all these new, these new tools and skills that you've learned um, in the real world
0: uh, that's good because I had a question about that what do you yeah. find is the key to having people follow through in practicing with this uh, you know like one of the inquiries i'm i've been living into in my own coaching for years is like how can i um how can i improve the quality of interaction or oh, let me how could i say this so it's like often when i'm coaching people we'll meet once a week or once every couple of weeks sometimes once every three weeks and then they'll go away and they'll be doing stuff in between. But how can I have better touch points, you know, more effective touch points that deepen deepen the transformational container uh and 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 in make and keep that invitation for people to be doing in to be in the practice alive. And you know, of yeah. course, on one level that is up to the individual. Um, you know, it's not my responsibility to 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 have them um, you know. To hold their hand too much in doing that. At the same time, you know, people are people, people are busy. I'm just curious, like if if you find yeah. there are ways that you invite people into really practicing.
1: Yeah. If I understand your question correctly, it's really how do I keep their practice alive and keep right. keep it alive during, let's say we have one session a month, and you know, lots of stuff happens in between. I think without wanting to sound weird, I'm, you know, if I have one-on-one coaching and mentoring, often I have groups, so it's a little harder, but I hold space for them the whole time. Even if we're doing it for a year, they're always somewhere in my system. And so, you know, you know, the objectives of your coachees, you're getting to know them, uh, they become part of you as well as you becoming part of their lives. And so, when I see an article, or listen to a YouTube video, or have a conversation, sometimes I can hear their name pop up. Like, ah, oh, this this might be interesting for them, and I'll always act on that. I'll always send out the article, or send out the podcast, or send out the video. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a day after the coaching, or a day before the coaching, or right in the middle, just to keep those touch points going up and down. Um, and I'll always offer that they can call me. And so sometimes I even, instead of having the hour and a half coaching sessions, sometimes I have half an hour coaching sessions and we'll just meet more often if it's necessary in that span of time. So on my end, that's what I tend to do. I tend to hold these people in my heart. And so then it'll always come up if I see something that might benefit them. So that's what I do. Mm. I don't know if that yeah. answers your question. It does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and um, you know, you said it's a bit weird. Like I hold them in my heart. That might sound a bit weird, but uh, I'm actually fascinated by that, and doesn't sound weird to me. There's. Uh, I wonder for you if there's a kind of like, how could you say this? Like an energetic holding or something. Like uh, these people are in your, in a field or something. Your field, and there's um, like a, there's a kind of perhaps even a subtle attunement to them taking place as as you're doing that yeah you know even on the level of like I see articles and things but perhaps in other ways
1: yeah absolutely I think there is that attunement Uh, there is that attunement and I think coaches choose you and you choose coaches. there's a reason that that you're together and that you're doing this and it's not some cognitive session I do every month uh, where I'm helping someone out and I don't believe any of the coaches that become coaches do it that way. There is that energetic field. Who's the British scholar that does research into uh, could I think be Rupert Sheldrake. Field. Sheldrake. Yes. I've I read a lot of his work um, and studied a lot of his work. And I, I believe there is. And, um, and I, yeah, at least when I work with clients, that's what happens. They come into my energy field. They're part of me for as long as I coach them. And then at the end, I make it a point. That's why intention setting is important for me and, and rounding off, um, a series, uh, or a program at the beginning and end, you open something and you close something. And it's important to do so because if at the end you don't close it off correctly, it's just going to linger on and it doesn't have any closure. So I think as a coach or mentor, it's really important that you make a point of of opening something together and of closing it and having gratitude together for what was able to happen or what didn't happen and and stop something and close it off. And then you can reopen again. I've had clients for a year, year and a half, and then we stopped. And then a year later, they came back. Um, And then we do that all over again. So make that into a ritual and... You know, some people like sort of a ceremonial type of ritual and other people just like a worded ritual of, you know, what are our intentions and have it be more practical. Yeah. Do you, have you
0: thought about the 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 necessity of ritual and well-being at all? Like, I, I, I'm curious about that. For example, I noticed um, being at home, working at home all the time during the lockdown, uh, like little rituals, like just traveling to a place of work, you know, uh, which actually yeah. was a ritual, and it was actually very quite much more meaningful than I imagined. Being outside, uh, you know, under the sky, looking up, and seeing other people moving. Uh, do you find that that is an important part of well-being, and you that's why you bring it in, basically?
1: I th- absolutely, I think spot on, and I love what you just said about those rituals of just looking up at the sky and walking, or biking, or driving to work people are increasingly missing it. And it was interesting because this week, um, some of my corporate groups brought it up. They said, first we were live, then we were online, and now there's this hybrid form and we don't know how to be together. You know, it's like one person is is live in the office, whereas someone else has back-to-back meetings the whole day. And so one person wants to have that coffee at the coffee machine, but the other person's full up with their uh, back-to-back Zoom calls. And so we're all trying to find a new way. And yes, am I going to go visit that client? Am I gonna fly? What, you know? No, that's not good for the environment. We're not doing that anymore. So what choices are we making in the new world, as it were, on, on how to work together and how to be together? And rituals is a big part of that. And during COVID, as you said, we all had to start learning how to do these rituals for ourselves, or we didn't do them. To the detriment of personal well-being because a lot of people i found and that have told me is at some stage during the pandemic i you know they were telling me i just got up took a shower or not had my pjs on with a jacket on top got in front of the screen sat there for 10 hours had halfway through and that was it or grabbed a cup of coffee but the longer that continues the more that's going to affect you in a negative way. And so finding ritual in a day that work for you um, is super important because it balances out the work, the habit, the, I was going to say rhythm, but I don't mean rhythm. I really mean that rigid structure that you find yourself in, especially if you're in a corporate environment and break that. And I found that people in my groups have said, now that we've done this 10 week course i have now implemented five minutes each session at the beginning of the session just to check in how everyone's doing in my team and i've added five minutes at the end where everyone can go grab a coffee and take a bio bright break and so essentially the meetings have become 45 to 50 minutes versus you know on the hour which is what it was like during the pandemic and so little rituals like that can make a huge difference um and this is just a small example of a meeting but with a big impact because everyone feels seen at the beginning everyone feels seen at the end your manager is showing personal leadership and company leadership and team leadership um in the moment so yeah i find it really important and i think a lot of us learned how to do that during the pandemic a lot of us didn't but a lot of us did as well yeah
0: it speaks to me of the the, the the rehumanizing uh in the workplace uh you know and um you know of course of course we could say like we've always been human in the workplace but um you know just that's a great example isn't it of like how we don't think to check in how we're doing or to leave mm-hmm. time for a for a, you know going to the toilet bio break um so, yeah, we can say we, we've always been human and we care. But at, at, on the other hand, like there's just this um, systemic kind of like numbing to to that part of ourselves or or it was just not allowed to be in the workplace, you know, like in the U.S. where people get, I don't know how many, like 10 days holiday a year. I don't know if I've got that right, by the way, but I was just thought, what?
1: For most people. most people.
0: That's like, what's days. going on there, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. So... So yeah, like there's just I just hear this story of like there's a possibility to kind of like rehumanize the workplace, and even in a quite I'm I'm curious. This is where I, I muse a bit more. I'm wondering around like like something more radical, you know, like a radical re envisioning of what it would be to be a to be a, a human in the workplace, um, you know, to feel fulfilled, to feel the deep levels of well being, and then for this kind of uh, creativity and contribution to come online because you know I read something crazy in in the newspaper the other day. It's like it's like what you were saying. It's like seventy percent of people are reporting um, feelings of anxiety now. You know uh, I don't know how uh, where how accurate it is or where I read that. So, so it's it's got to be. But I think it's in the Guardian. And then um, in the same article, it said and like eighty percent or ninety percent of people feel. Uh, like a sense of depression or anxiety on a Sunday about going back to work the next day. And I was, you know,
1: that that is,
0: you've got to think about what impact that's having on our ability to respond, you know, to use what you've been collectively to, to these um, complex challenges we face.
1: Yeah. And I, I, you're dead, right. I think it's on the one hand, it's the, company cultures, the working culture, corporate culture, business culture. It's about driving and driving change and continuing to drive change through everything. And at the same time, for me, because my work is so focused on, on people, it's about, so what makes it that you aren't stepping up and making that change? Why are you afraid of saying this is not for me i'm not doing this um what's the fear and and you know choosing love over fear is super hard and in some cases there might not be the funds to see a way out you know in some cases people might feel uh that there's no other way i have to do this if i want to provide for my family for instance so you know sometimes examples are um are hard or harder or have multi-layered backgrounds that you need to take into account also cult, um company cultural backgrounds. where are people based that you have in your groups you know it's vastly different if i have people from the states people from india australia or the netherlands i mean they all have they're all coming from a different uh setup um yeah let me catch my thought um I think that's where my work starts where does the fear come from and how can we let go of the fear and take a step forward that's doable which is what we often do in coaching which you know if a lot of coaches are listening to this conversation or as you know at the end of our to what one small step that you can take towards what you're desiring to create in your life without having to blow up the whole system that you're in um and focus on something that you can influence versus something that you're concerned about. So I think those steps um those steps will help. That's I mean that's the focus of my work. Um I think more so than than the bigger systemic shift. Mm-hmm. I mean I'm also there, but the core of my work is with people. So so I look at what can you influence? What small step can you take towards where you want to go? Um to less fear and more of a happy life and less anxiety because there are so many people who are fearful of, but if I take this step, then that's going to happen. You know, it's all based on what if, and it's all based on past experiences or fear for the future. And then to bring someone in full, into full presence into now, you know, how are we doing now? Is there a problem now? Um, what would happen if we just drop into our hearts now and just get a feel of what it really is that you want? And you'll often find that that people, at least that I work with in these environments, so I'm not saying that's true for every environment, will find that, ah, but if I want to be happy, I want more of this. And and that means I'll have less of that. And in some cases, it'll mean switching jobs or earning less or changing their housing situation or um, there might be a consequence in order to be happy and to take responsibility of that choice again, then we come back into full circle. So, I don't know, this is a little bit of what I'm thinking when you ask me that question.
0: Yeah. um, I, I also work mostly with individuals. So I like that you bring it back to that. And, you know, I think that's where most of us can play our role anyway. You know, it's like, what's the group or the individual that's sat with us what I like about what you're saying is it's not just uh, about feeling good um in the sense of okay now can we have, help you feel like less anxious but there's this responsibility part which seems so key you know it's not you can't it's not just about okay can you get, get out of a trigger uh if you're feeling amped up or stressed can you de- can you can you relax can you come back into a sense of integration but it's also about what empowering Step, uh, could you take around what's most important to you, which I think is yep. key in well being, isn't it? To feel that sense of autonomy and possibility,
1: yeah, it's the basis of resilience. I mean, that's you know, resilience is the ability to bounce back from things and it's the ability to uh to respond, really. It's the ability to respond and to take that responsibility. Um, there's what's the saying about resilience about the bamboo I don't know it? that one I don't know
0: that one. one oh
1: well, anyway so yeah so it's about it's about being able to respond and and that's again about what we spoke about in the beginning about self-efficacy and and being able to respond to all these challenges in the world in a meaningful way for you and if you want to be able to do that you've got to know thyself because if you don't you're just going left to right and following the script Mm. Uh, once you know what it is you want to be doing here you know it doesn't have to be this big why it can just be ah this is important to me this is what I want to create in my life and that could be anything from a solid family situation to a CEO job as long as you're clear on what it is that you want then you can take small steps towards it without having to beat up on your mental health
0: Um, as we come and come to the end of our conversation, I just wondered if there's like one question I have is like, what, what's, um, on the edge of your work right now, if anything, like, is there, is there anything that's like, you know, like at your edge that you're really excited about, um, you know, this kind of coming, coming in and it could be anything. It could be, it might not be stuff you're teaching and coaching around, but it might even just be books and things. But I always like to just tap into that bit or sometimes I like to.
1: I love that question. Thank you. What's at the edge of it? Um, I think two things that I find exciting. Like when I started this work, it was, I mean, I started doing spiritual training and systemic work and compassion work. I mean, I started all that in 1998. I mean, I'm that old. So anyway, so I started that years ago. And um, what I'm finding now is that Sometimes I look at my work and then I look at what's going on in companies or with, there's so many of us doing this work now that, that a lot of things that I used to say seven years ago, everyone, it's common knowledge. So because of you know, the, the, the speed at which information is being shared makes it so that um, you don't need me to find information. You don't need me to understand how these things work. You can read it everywhere. Um, And a large part of my work is about having people experiencing it. That's why I love the embodied transformation so much, because it's about the experience that we have. And even there, more and more people are experiencing that themselves too. So things are moving from more, yeah, in Dutch we say the materie, so the more material, the slowness of, 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 it's almost as if things that we acquired in knowledge slowly, is now moving at the speed of light and something I thought yesterday was like the epiphany of my work, tomorrow could be old news. And so I'm enjoying that edge because it keeps me on my toes to learn more. And um, and people are becoming more and more interested, not necessarily in a quick fix, but into things that could help them gain insights more quickly be it meditation or psychedelics or you know people are increasingly experimenting with different areas to help themselves more quickly so Mm. i think it's good as a coach to know that that this this is at the edge of my work at least and i think that's for all of us it's something to consider and i find it exciting uh, because it's it'll change our work uh, moving forward
0: I really do uh, think it will. Yeah. I'm, does that make sense, it, Sir George? It does, it does, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um just to kind of I was like weaving in like what it sparks in me and um I think I think you're right, like now um there's information is everywhere, yeah. So um the currency is is experience, like the, the currency of transformation is experience and um some some information and knowledge yeah. is useful, but um i was just i've been starting to open more to ai exploring that and i want to do some podcasts on it um and that is gonna change the game because you know as a friend of mine Absolutely. and i were talking he was he was he's been exploring it too and he was saying like you know i used to think ai would replace some coaching and but you know and he's like okay man this stuff is getting better so quickly and um you know so i think it's going to really we're, as coaches we're really going to have to up our game and i think the coaches that will be okay are the ones who are who've who've done that deep embodied work and who there's a kind of yeah. transmission of the the depth of their work with their clients and it's really about this experience you know because uh a lot yeah. of stuff that's around deploying tools with steps of things this ai is going to be able to do it really well and people often yeah. feel more more comfortable with ai that's what i'm learning too because they don't feel any level of uh judgment or anything like that uh you know like they're going to be judged or perceived negatively so interesting yeah. anyway so
1: so I yeah i'm with that you on that currency of uh, yeah the cur. sorry to interrupt the currency of transformation mm-hmm. is the experience i mean that's what it is and uh yeah the direct experience feeling yeah. into your heart yeah Thank Uh, you for all your beautiful questions.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And, um, you know, I just really enjoy that I get to be in spaces like this with people like you. So uh, I've really enjoyed myself and, um, you know, just kind of want to wish you well. And and thank you for being on and wish you well in this work because it is needed. And where can we find out more about your work, actually? Oh,
1: well, thank you. And, and before I say anything else, thank you for this conversation. It's been wonderful. It's been lovely. It's just been nice talking to you about important things and about my work. Thank you for your interest. Um, yeah, if you're listening, um, be rooted.nl cause I'm now based in Holland. So that's my website. Um, but LinkedIn is probably the best, most updated information for me. Um, I'm also on Instagram but LinkedIn is definitely the best place because I'm in the business arena so that's where I'll update any new information or 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 have my interests and shares ready for people who are interested in this work. And how yeah. do we find you on LinkedIn? Ah, LinkedIn so Barbara Piper. So it's just my name. Yeah, so Piper P I P R. Yeah.
0: Thanks Barbara. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time.